This is What Can We Learn from Intentional Communities, episode 48 of the Renew the Arts podcast. Welcome to the Renew the Arts podcast, where we discuss the role of art and creativity in the church and in the world. We're your hosts, Michael Minkoff and Abby Sitterly. Our motto at Renew the Arts is liberate Christian creativity, and we're doing this through cultivating Christian communities in and through the arts by inspiring art patronage and supporting artists. If you'd like to contribute financially to this work, please join our patron community today. It's really easy, and it starts at a dollar a month. Go to patreon.com forward slash renew the arts to learn more. So today we're going to have a a special guest. Like I said last podcast, we're going to have Abby Sitterly, who is our chief storyteller and uh, at Renew the Arts, and she has done a number of host interviews already that you may have read on the blog, and I hope you have, because I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about today. This was, this was her idea, so we're going to do it a little bit like I am the interviewer, and I'm going to ask Abby some questions and such, and she's going to educate me. Part of the reason for this is because she knows vastly more about this than I do. <laughs> that is still up for debate. That's up for debate. By the okay. end of this, you'll school me in it, and it'll be great. No, I won't. No, I won't. <laughs> okay. And so uh, so today, uh, we're going to talk about intentional communities. And um, we actually have a, a few intentional communities that we're going to talk about. And the main reason why we're talking about them, uh, just to set this uh, conversation up, is because we are trying to develop an intentional community mm, with the mm-hmm. Porchlight Network. And we want to be cognizant of the ways in which intentional communities have already been made. Certainly. And the things that were successful there and the things that maybe need to be improved or need to be addressed. Yeah, there's no and, harm in learning from the people who came before. Well, unless you're learning their mistakes. Right. Which is what we want to avoid. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Very true. <laughs> okay. All right. So, Abby, so tell me a little bit about uh, the, maybe just give an overview of the three communities that we're going to be talking about uh, today. Sure. Yeah. And then so, we can just start digging into it. I love it. Great. Well, it's a blast to be here on the podcast with you, Michael. And um, it's been a blast even writing for uh, the Porchlight blog and such. Um, but I'm really excited today to talk about um, intentional communities. We're going to be talking about three, like you said, um, Labrie, which uh, was in founded in Switzerland by Francis and Edith Schaefer. And then we're going to talk about the Bruderhof community. And then we're going to talk about La Arche. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm a little rusty on my French, but uh, we're going to run with it. So um, these three communities, like we mentioned, they're definitely intentionally formed. So they have certain structures to each that uh, some of them are, have similarities, but then others uh, differences. And we're going to take a look at what makes them united, but also what sets them apart. And then learn from some of the mistakes that they've maybe made along the way, um, but then also learn from the rich history of uh, these bold examples of what it looks like to um, practice Christian hospitality through various cultures and social dynamics. It's going to be great. Sweet. So I'm looking forward to this. So I think probably of all three, most people are probably more familiar with Libri. I certainly am. Like, in fact, until you had mentioned La Arche or La Che or whatever it is, I don't know. It's the Arc. It means the Arc in French, right? Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then uh, the Bruderhof uh, community, I had only passing understanding of either of those. But Labrie, I think most people have uh, heard about because of Sh- Francis Schaeffer's importance right. and like even just the Christian right and all that other stuff. For sure. Um, so yeah. tell us a little bit about what do you think was the central idea behind Labrie? It, like maybe it's central value or something, especially in terms of this conversation for our, our learning purposes. Sure. So I think what uh, Labrie established really well was the idea of, I mean, it means shelter in Swiss. So to provide a place for people to step away from the hustle and bustle of everyday life and really concentrate on the questions that are arising um, in their lives, whether that's spiritually or socially or personally, um, they wanted to sort of create a place to um, be a shelter from what they call relentless secularism. And I think maybe this Mm. is something we see a little bit more um, with clarity and potency today. Um, But it was still a thing back then as well that um, it was really hard to sort of sparse out 
the uh, different questions that one might have theologically or philosophically without getting influence from just the constant exposure to um, media and ideas that might cloud the clarity that one needs to sort of navigate those things. So they were founded in 1955 and really tried to practice like Christian care and create a um, sort of, for lack of a better phrase, safe space for questions. Um, and they currently have branches around the U.S. There's one in Nashville. There's one in um, Southboro, Massachusetts. But then they're also internationally located in Brazil. The Switzerland one still exists and in England, too. So there's definitely a lot of options. Um, but they're mostly staffed by families or single people who are really kind of pouring their hearts out to make a place for artists to, I don't know, come hang out and uh, get a little bit of a focus on what they want to work on. And so, like, why do you think that there was artists? Like, what what was it about, like, inviting artists into that space that was important, I mean, to Francis Schaeffer or to whoever else? Like, what exactly, why the focus on artists? Yeah, I mean, Francis Schaeffer has a lot to say about the importance of the arts as um, being co-creators with God. But then Edith Schaeffer also, in her book Hidden Art, she talks a lot about how there really is art in the everyday. And so while they did invite formal artists, uh, musicians and painters and writers, that sort of thing, it's also for the average person who um, is not quite sure, you know, where they're going to find that space to navigate uh, the questions that they have in their lives, but also understand, you know, where's what is my place before God? What is my place as an artist, even if I don't do any of those particular mediums? Um, so they kind of uh, definitely encouraged both perspectives and, and positions and welcoming people in. Then that kind of brings up a different question, I guess, sure, which would be me. a more contemporary contemporary question, which is uh, in in what way do you think they do you think they were engaged in the so-called culture war? Uh, you know, where it's like at the time, 1955, you have this raging modernism and Francis Schaeffer's looking around and he's like, civilization is falling apart. Mm, we mm -hmm. need, and maybe he's like Benedict optioning, like trying to yeah, escape from that back into it. And it may be escapism, but maybe it's just like, you know, Central Park in the middle mm -hmm. of the hustle and bustle and anxiety of the city or something like that. Just a place of rest. Uh, there, there's got to be, so th there, there's two questions in here. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. One, what was his relation to the culture war? Mm -hmm. And then secondarily, if you want to get to it, uh, how is this not just escapism? Sure. So I think Francis Schaeffer definitely was a more vocal voice in uh, saying that there is a culture war. And on some level, I think he's right, probably. But I think there are certainly a lot of um, misapplications that we can pull from that. I really like what um, currently John Tyson says about um, the culture war, that we need to be less people that are trying to like fight and um, push back against, I don't know, that relentless secularism, but instead be like artists and um, mm. admit that, okay, maybe we did lose the culture war. And if we did, should we keep fighting something that's already a lost thing? But what if instead of fighting, we just be a different sort of people, like maybe a people set apart and then live our lives in the way of Jesus, uh, which will then conflict naturally with the way things are in this world. So I kind of like that approach. Um, so there's certainly a lot in Francis Schaeffer's thought and in his life that, um, like anything that we experience by any fallible person, uh, especially as Christians, we got to sort of chew the meat and spit out the bones in a way. Um, there's a lot of discernment that we have to have. So um, I definitely think that I would disagree with him on maybe some of those aspects, but I think ultimately we can definitely sense the tension between um, that sacred secular paradigm, which may or may not be a reality, but it certainly is a present uh, illusion. But uh, your second question was, um, you know, how do we uh, not become Benedict optioning uh, artists? And I think one thing about Libri that is really cool is that you go away, but then you come back with more. So it's not mm. like you go to stay at Libri um, for six, seven months, or you go to live there in this really intentional community and sell your life away to it. But it's a time to have respite. It's a mm. time to uh, step away, get that clarity, but then to go back and um, kind of like St. Augustine talks about, like, we're not supposed to be a people that sort of necessarily go into the desert to stay in the desert. We want to engage with the culture and want to mm. um, preach the gospel and especially with our lives and with our art too. So I think Libri balances 
that really well, at least in their philosophy of come, rest, then return and work for the glory of God. Mm, that's great. So it seems like Labrie, in some ways, a- avoided the escape dilemma or the escape trap, like kind of the monastic uh, escapism by sending people back into the world they came out of, having been refreshed and strengthened uh, by this like culture care, really. I mean, if you want to call it that. (laughs) And in that way, also by cultivating something and building something rather than being devoted to antagonism or destruction, they also in, in some ways did a pretty good job dealing with the culture war aspects, even if some of the inheritors of that idea have not done a great job of like furthering that goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but what would what would you say if you were to say, okay, so we can learn about rest and Sabbathing, and uh, you know maybe even mountaintop community building for the sake of uh, rebuilding uh, and cultivating community and, and 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 culture. That's great. Is there something that we are needing to learn in the negative way? Sure. Well, I think not everyone has the ability to travel halfway across the country um, for something like this or necessarily take time uh, to go for six months or even two weeks. Uh, That's certainly something many people can't allow in their schedules. Um, So maybe something that is more formal like that might be off-putting to um, a person who does not have that capability in their means. But uh, I think it can definitely teach us that that rest and that Sabbath are important, but sometimes we don't even need the amount of time that we think we need. Um, I can certainly imagine maybe someone goes for two weeks and they realize, you know, I think I really only needed like two or three days. I just needed that solitary mm-hmm. time um, alone with the Lord and uh, in community and recognizing my need, but also how I feel others' needs. Um, and then really just bringing home what uh, they learned from that um, in less of a timeline than their expectations are. So I think expectation um, can be a lot, and I could certainly see someone um, going there with a lot of loaded expectations of, okay, I'm going to participate in this small microcosm of God's kingdom, and I'm going to answer that big question that I've always had looming in the back of my mind. But ultimately, I think you are going to be disappointed if you have really mm. high ideals like that. And I think that is something we do as artists. We assume that the next work that we're going to create is going to heal ourselves or the next community we're going to insert ourselves into is going to be the one where we finally fit in and it's lifelong and just a mirror of what heaven will be like. And actually, it's just a really messy community with broken people and things are not uh, shiny and attentionless and, uh, I don't know, difficulty is uh, a part of any even working community. So, Well, it's just part of the magic of it too, actually. I mean, we've noticed this even with porch light shows and hosting and everything. It's like oftentimes the best shows happen when things don't go the way you expected. Right, it. right. Because in a lot of ways, you're, there's room there for the Holy Spirit to move in and, and really uh, like increase connections and, and mm-hmm. increase you know, the, the the mutual dependence that you feel that causes you to like reach out to God for the sake of one another. And yeah. There, there's a lot of beauty that happens there. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely seen that with um, Porchlight and such, even in the conversations that I've had with different hosts around the country, um, they seem to all recognize that they are very limited in what they can offer sometimes, but it's that very limited nature of their means that allows them to really embrace people in a different way. I can recall mm. uh, Karen Dubois saying, you know, we uh, had people in to our home and it was, uh, you know, a smaller home, but Carly Tate, who they hosted, was like, hey, do you think we could like dim the lights? And it was just that small act of her dimming the lights that Karen was like, you know, it really served to make the atmosphere. And so it's not really about like, oh, you know, do I have all of the things that I need in order to make um, like this a big concert or something like that? It's like, no, just those small intentional touches um, what, with whatever you have are so honoring to the Lord and really supportive to brothers and sisters in the artistic community. Uh, yeah, definitely. So now we're going into like total darkness here for me. So, uh, you know, into the woods with this one, uh, Bruderhof. Sure. Which means place of brothers, yes. apparently. Wait, I'm curious, me, why is it into the dark for you? I don't know about Bruderhof. <laughs> okay, that's what you mean. I thought you meant this was going to be a, a dark topic for you. And I thought, well. Oh, 
well, I had some bad experiences with brothers. I never had brothers. I only had five sisters. (laughs) Me neither. I'm an only child. So pray for me, I guess. So the word brothers is triggering for me, um, but I'll try and get through it. Well, I appreciate you joining in. This will be great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Bruderhof means place of brothers. And honestly, their website bio summarizes them really well. They're really great with uh, their marketing. Love your neighbor take care of each other, share everything. So if I could Mm. summarize it in three phrases, that would do it. Um, But they stem from the Anabaptist tradition founded by Eberhard Arnold in Germany in the 1920s. So Eberhard Arnold was a pretty big spiritual figure um, for these guys. They were essentially chased out of Germany at one point for being conscientious conscientious objectors, that's a big word, uh, to Mm. the Nazis in World War II. So then they moved to the Cotswolds in England, but conscientious objectors there as well, uh, they ended up getting sort of a bad reception in Britain, and they went abroad to Paraguay, and now they're here in the U.S. So there's currently 26 communities um, around the world, but what really sets them apart and their intentionality is they have no private property. Everything is communal. Mm. They have no salaries, no bank accounts, and everything that they own is overseen by a steward. So they do have private businesses and such, but all of those assets end up going to the church at dissolution. Um, They're really built around family. They all um, eat one meal together as a community every day, and they even have their own institutions like nurseries, schools, even um, literary publications. And they're just really focused on simple simplicity and um, togetherness as a community in Christ. Uh, But then also they have a really strong um, appreciation for the arts because they want to inspire faith and action. So Christian pacifism is a big thing, um, but really they just want their community to be as tight-knit as they feel uh, the Bible calls us to. Oh, yeah. And I see here, this is Plow Quarterly, which Mm -hmm. I'm I'm familiar with. With, I mean, I've submitted to them before. Oh, yeah. I had no idea that they were connected to Bruderhof. Yeah, they're pretty great. Uh, what's what are what do you think are some central like positives that we can draw uh, from these uh, from this uh, community from this intentional community? Yeah, I think it's a two sided coin. So I really appreciate the fact that for the Western individualistic mind, this is a little triggering um, because mm-hmm. we like the idea of private property. We are all about our rights and. Um, what we are owed here. And uh, this is running pretty contrary to that. Um, So I would say that this as an institute, um, an intentional community um, really pushes against those like small heresies that we have um, as Christians in America, um, where we start putting our personal material needs over others. We start um, becoming more individualized, you know, if I if I have to sacrifice that, I'm probably not going to want to. <laughs> so that right. sort of thing. But on the other hand, I do think um, the idea that there is no private property, I think that is also like its own idealism in its own way. Um, because ultimately, I think private property is a sense of freedom. Um, and if everything is owned by everyone, that can get, I don't know, a little culty sometimes, I'd say. For, for sure. I mean, it definitely has that possibility I would distinguish this, and a lot of people would look at it and be like, that's communism or that's Marxism. Mm -hmm. And I would distinguish this from that in the sense that it is, as an intentional community, a voluntary society. Right. Mm -hmm. So everybody, it's not like the, you know, some power came in and said, oh, you don't own that anymore. We're the Cuban government and it's ours now. Um, Right. That's not how this is working. These are all people who have signed up for this. So uh, right. being voluntary, I wouldn't say that it's communism or Marxism, for mm-hmm. one. Yeah, that's painting too broad of a stroke. It does recall um, like the Yellow Deli cult. That mm-hmm. <laughs> the Yellow yeah. Delis oh, are yeah. everywhere, right? And those yeah. are voluntary shared communities. Like they share absolutely everything. Uh, have you ever been to one? I have. I did. When I came down to visit yeah. you guys, We went. I went to my first Yellow Deli. And it was pretty nice. Everyone was very kind, and they specifically do not evangelize. So I was, like, waiting for the pitch, and I Mm. only got yerba mate. So (laughs) Mm. um, I was very surprised. But, uh, I mean, that's a voluntary, uh, I mean, for lack of a better term, like, communal um, sharing of things. But 
they still have a really hard time detaching when they want to detach. And so that's something uh, with the Bruderhof, you know, it is for life uh, that these folks do this. So I'm sure on some level, there might be some issues with dissolution. What happens if you try to leave? I don't know. I don't know. That's I mean, not in the three like, phrase you, bio you on die. the website. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's yeah. not? Yeah, no, they don't put that in. Yeah. It's on, oh, a, it's okay. on the error 404 message. It's, it's like, not by in the like way. the FAQ. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no. I get what? that's not you- direct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but what I think is really something that we can learn from it, um, not just as Christians, but as artists especially, is that um, that balance between individualism and community is really an important thing to strike as an artist. Uh, We can tend to be so isolated and feeling we have to sort of go into our basement and work tirelessly without food and drink for 12 plus hours or something like that, or, um, oh, I'm brooding and my art needs to be my own. But then also we can sort Mm. of lose ourselves in a community of artists and losing that individual identity that really drives our work to begin with. So we Mm. certainly have to um, strike some sort of equilibrium with that um, as we continue to try to make art. Yeah, but I mean, I think you'd probably agree that at least here in the United States, we have swung the pendulum pretty hard toward individualism and celebrity and proximity to power and these kinds of things. And that a little bit of like voluntary self-giving probably wouldn't hurt anybody. Oh, by Um, all means. By all means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, at least that we can learn whether or not we take it all the way to that extreme, whether that would be necessary. It's still the case that like it's it could it would be a salutary, um, Mm -hmm. you know, thing to do for our individualism, which I think has reached toxic proportions. So I'd agree. And I think that plays out really clearly in the way that we um, glamorize Christian celebrity and we put Mm -hmm. people um, on a very isolating pedestal and then get very Mm -hmm. surprised when they fall. Um, But then on the other hand, we also certainly have men and women in your local church uh, who are very capable of being wise, gentle, um, encouraging leaders. And we think, ah, you know, that person's not as cool as the person that was on the cover of Relevant Magazine or something like that. He's not in my Spotify Mm -hmm. playlist. And so um, Mm -hmm. I think we could definitely learn from more of a communal posture than Mm -hmm. uh, this is what the culture has delivered me for a role model. For sure, yeah, and like the whole issue of private property, I mean, I I totally believe in private property, but the problem with individualism, private property, put that together with greed and avarice and all the rest Mm -hmm. of it, and the market mechanism for the support of artists is not functional, and it feeds directly into that celebrity culture you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so if you have an intentional community, though, all of a sudden it's like, well, how much is the, the, the brilliance of this local artist's artwork worth? Right. Right. Yeah. And it's like, well, I'm not I can't actually put that in dollars because I see this guy. He's not just like a, a, you know, a a figure on on my Spotify playlist or whatever that comes every once in a while. I listen to it and I pay my monthly subscription. Mm -hmm. This is a a person. Right. This is a woman or a man that I know in my community and they have a family or they have, Mm -hmm. you know, an apartment that they're having a hard time paying their rent on. You know what I mean? They have a second job at Publix. They have a second job, you know, here or there or whatever. (laughs) And it's like, you know, you you can't avoid the fact that like this can't be transactional or a real human Mm being. Beings are going to be hurt by it. Yeah, they're multidimensional, certainly. It, yeah. it brings dignity to the human being, I think, and really to personhood, um, which is, I think, something that is sorely missing for sure. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, we're not going to be, I don't think, at this point, we haven't decided on this, okay? But we're probably not going to be requiring the host to sign up for life or like threatening the, to take their property if they try to leave. Well, that's um, good. <laughs> Right, right now. Yeah. I mean, it may that may be a policy later on down the road once we're better established. Be advised. Yes. <laughs> I will tender my resignation. Okay. Good. 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 Yes. Well. Well, you can't. I don't know if you read the fried print. Uh, <laughs> I won't be uh, anyway. an arm for the machine. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. But at the same time, it is the case that we are hoping to to form. I mean, radical generosity. Like, Mm, we want mm. to cultivate radical generosity. That was one of the reasons why when we first started the network, and this has been crazy, but we we had a real long discussion with Dave Trout from UTR Media and Justice and I. We had a phone call, Mm -hmm. and we were talking. We had a long conversation about, are we going to allow the hosts 
to take a cut of what they bring in, you know, on the night of a show. And we had a long conversation. And at the end of the day, it wasn't that they didn't deserve it or that it wouldn't be just or that it wouldn't be fair. It was just that the spirit we wanted to cultivate was one of a group of people who are willing to give with no expectation of any return that wasn't spiritual. Yeah. And that wasn't heavenly. And, um, and that actually we were like, and you know, who knows how many of those kinds of people we're going to find. Right. Yeah. And you know, cause like we're, we're like, okay, so come on here. You know, you have no idea what's going to happen. But in fact, you know, the, the, we, we, there were a lot of people who were like, I'm totally, uh, into this idea of creating a community of radical generosity. Right. And I think that because it runs so contrary to the daily messages that we receive on what is the monetary system, um, that the world operates on and should operate yeah. on. Um, mm-hmm. It's like a breath of fresh air. Um, it was Absolutely. it was for me and my roommates when we first hosted um, the idea that, yep, we're going to let people into our home, which is something that we do pretty often, actually weekly here. Um, but we're also going to like support their art in any way we can um, without any sort of kickback. I mean, it was a, sometimes like a lot of work to do something like that. And I even saw that mm. as... Um, folks hosted our band on the road, like it is a lot of work to put uh, food on the table, whether that's like a full meal or just snacks. Right. And then like mm-hmm. reorganize your living room and invite mm-hmm. a bunch of different people from different uh, spheres of influence in your life. Some of whom could be strangers. Yeah, yeah, especially that. And for an introvert, that's no easy feat to just go uh-huh. and introduce yourself and uh, send someone an event bright link. But um, the... ROI on that, the return on investment, um, spiritually far outweighed whatever cost we felt as hosts. And that was communicated to us when we toured as well, that um, Mm -hmm. just the ability to have those conversations and see um, the body of Christ at work nationally, um, not Mm -hmm. just in my local church, was pretty, pretty amazing for both sides of the, of the stage. Absolutely. So I, I think we kind of talked about a little bit at least uh, the, the the potential negatives here, which is pretty much like, sure, make a culture, mm-hmm. but don't make a cult. Right. I think that's yep. like the bottom line, you know, sure. like <laughs> be culture making, not cult making. Yeah, um, I'm into okay. that. <laughs> all right. All right. Very good. Very good. I think we are too. Uh, for good. now, like I said, you know, pending future policy potential, but, um, you know. Look into uh, the legality okay. and then get back to me. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know that we'll probably be on the right side of the law there, so. um. (laughs) Sorry to interrupt. I want to take just a moment to thank all of our Patreon supporters for supporting our organization so faithfully. Your support makes it possible for us to do our work. I want to offer a special thanks to our newest supporter, Lisa Hood. Thank you so much for being part of our community. If you'd like to contribute to this podcast, please join our patron community today at patreon.com forward slash renew the arts. If you want to join the Porchlight Network, go to app.porchlight.art and sign up as a host or a tender. Anyway, uh, so let's talk about l'arche, l'arche, le whatever it is. It's probably l'arche, right? L'arche? It sounds right. I don't Let's wing it. I don't know. But, <laughs> but it means... It means the arc in 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 French. Yeah, and, in Francais. Uh, it's a uh, it's kind of I love how these different communities they pull um just like one word names. It's very it's very hipster from of them. their own culture too. Like you've got Swiss and you got German and now you have French. Were they founded in The France? Holy Spirit was moving. It was like one word names. Let's do it. <laughs> so um yeah, this porch was light. <laughs> porch light. Porch <laughs> light. You got a RTA instead of renew the arts, that's all. Um, Mm. Yeah, so it was founded by Catholic philosopher and theologian Jean Venier and um, a priest, Thomas Philippe. Um, But it was really started by Venier feeling led by God to invite a couple guys in his hometown uh, to leave their institutions and come live with him in uh, a city in France. So basically, he provided a space for people of different um, uh, developmental disabilities to uh, have real community. And that's not something, mm. especially at that point in time, uh, folks with developmental disabilities were not given that much access to regular social integration. 
But now right. um, there are 156 large communities in over 38 countries, which is a pretty big boom. So we could say that this model has seemed pretty successful. Um, it was founded mm. uh, in the Christian faith, but it was open to people of all faiths and of no faith. Um, and they basically live together in homes and apartments. And really the heart of it is they believe all the, the contributing members of the society um, should be everyone. Um, regardless of their limitation. So they emphasize things like personal growth, social maturity, communal relationships, um, and they do use outside care resources, but really each community creates its own model. So philosophically, this is really based on the concepts of the amajo day and the dignity of the individual, regardless of their ability or level of production in our society. So it's pretty cool. Mm. Interesting. Um, and what would you say... Uh, is the like kind of positive takeaway for us in terms of like what what could we learn from this? I mean, is it inclusivity? Uh, like, in, in, like what is it? What is it exactly? Yeah, I think like, inclusivity is, is a great to place to start. Always. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah, I think we tend to do this thing in hospitality where we go, oh yeah, I'm gonna invite my friends over for dinner. And um, that's a great thing. You should totally do that. But I think Rosaria Butterfield puts it best. We're like, that's kind of entertaining. That's not mm. um, always like welcoming in the stranger. So hospitality mm. is a little bit more broad, but also a little bit deeper than entertaining. And I think, um, especially in American culture, our impulse is for entertaining in the style of a better homes and gardens cover rather than the kind of hard work of, hey, there are people in my life who get looked over how can I be the hands and feet of Christ to them? How can I include them? Mm. And so I think as hosts or even as artists, inviting those people who might not be the first person on your list and checking to see like, what's up with your list? Like, are you prioritizing mm. people for certain um, characteristics that you really shouldn't be characterizing, like you shouldn't be judging them for as a Christian. Um, sure. And just really opening um, our idea of community to beyond what our initial expectation is for sure. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, I think that accidental self-selection is the norm. Mm, mm -hmm. And I, and, and people can do that without thinking they're being closed-minded or narrow-minded. Mm -hmm. They could justify themselves like, I wasn't intending to be exclusive right. or elitist, mm -hmm. but it just happens that all of my friends are just like me and all the people who show up are just like me. Yeah, that's a very modern impulse, actually. I was reading um, Christine Pohl's Making Room on um, Hospitality, and she basically summarized that like in the early Christian church, there was no way to not be hospitable without killing someone. <laughs> like everyone mm. had very limited means. And if you denied someone care or invitation mm. for safety or um, like sustenance, you were essentially depriving them of like a very basic human need. Um, and mm. I think we have sort of gotten away from that because we are such an affluent culture. We've forgotten that like community is a very basic human need as well as, you know, I was hungry and you fed me, I was cold and mm. you gave me your cloak, you know. Um, I think we've lost sort of the uh, vi the vital core of what hospitality is, that it's really has to be more than just the option of, oh yeah, I guess we have Friday night free, you know, so. Right, and, and, and you are right. I mean, one of the things that I think is really important about this, because I mean, you could look at that and say, you know, the least of these. Mm -hmm. Who, who are the least of these in your life? And it seems a little bit like this is this is a demeaning or condescending or patronizing question to even ask. Right. Right. I mean, if somebody were to come over to your house and you were to say, I invited you over because I think you're the least of these. You <laughs> right. know, I don't think that would be a great way to begin your relationship. For I one. would definitely need um, a drink for that one. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, so yeah, especially if you're the one where you're <laughs> yeah. like, hey, thanks for no. inviting me over. And they're like, oh, I just invited you over because you're the least of these. Oh, right. Okay. Not my favorite conversation over pasta, <laughs> but I'd take it. <laughs> right. And so I um I have a thing that I that I that I've taught to my children, and I think it's helpful in determining this that the least of these you I would define as the people in your life that in your perception cannot help or harm you. Mm. Mm-hmm. And because it tends to be the case that, like, if you're entertaining, especially back in, like, uh, the day and the ancient hospitality kind of back culture. Back in the day. Um, 
yeah, back in the day, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you would you would invite people over that you thought would be socially advantageous, right? And yeah. and it would be socially advantageous, you know, not to invite prostitutes over, for instance, because that would stain your reputation. Or uh, gluttons because they need all your food. Or tax collectors because you might be considered a traitor to your nation. Or, um, you know, or any of these kinds of things. You want to invite the kind of people over that are going to end up being able to help you. Or you want to invite people over that if you didn't invite them over, they would hurt you. Right. Like they would would ruin your standing in the community because they got snubbed. Or they would, you know, outcast you from the synagogue because they had the power to do that. And so, you know, but if they couldn't help you or hurt you... Like, you're not really, it doesn't matter to you whether or not, you know, you disappoint them. Yeah. There's no stakes. Mm -hmm. And so, I I think that, like, that is, in my definition, what the least of these actually are. The people in your life that, that in your perception, can't hurt or or help you. And it's those people particularly where I think that it is a, a discipline of virtue to give of yourself for their sake. I think that's beautifully said, for sure. And especially, I think... Some of those modern categories might be political position or social position or um, is it that annoying person at work that you really wish would stop coming over to your cubicle? Um, Exactly. There's a lot of reasons to be annoyed with people, but um, annoying people are a gift. (laughs) They are Mm -hmm. a gift. And I don't mean that in like, oh, yeah, they teach us something about how not to be. I mean that they are made in the image of God. And just because you have a difficult time with them, you're supposed to love those who are difficult. (laughs) And um, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Um, And not just to say that you need a reward in that, but to do it because they're loved by God just as you are and you are no better and it can be your joy to serve the body of Christ. Um, I mean, that's pretty great. That's a great way to live. But it's only going to be an abstraction until you do it. Right. Absolutely. Right? So you're like, I know in the abstract that every single person is made in the image of God and they all have inherent worth. That's the abstract. Mm-hmm. But until you actually start getting to know and serving people practically, particularly, specifically, and searching for what worth they have in God, mm-hmm. that'll only ever be an abstraction. Right. And I think that right. hospitality allows it to move from being an abstraction to a concretion. Right, right. If our faith were an abstraction, it would be agnosticism. It would not right, be absolutely. the literal hands and feet of God made man. So everything has to be put into practice. If we uh, have faith but no works, show me your works and I'll show you my faith, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's definitely uh, a double-edged thing there, yeah. Absolutely. So as so this sounds great. Yeah, L'Arche sounds, so far. L'Arche, whatever, sounds great, yeah. Um, you know, we've talked about some of these good things and inclusivity and like dealing with the vulnerable and caring for the vulnerable and, you know, all this other kind of stuff. Uh, that's great. What's the, what's the negative? What, what are the negative things that we should probably yeah. avoid? Yeah. So, um, like a lot of good ideas, it came from a man who is very troubled. So in February, 2020, an internal report revealed that Vignier, um, sexually abused six women, um, in France, La Arche. So, um, obviously that is a huge, um, and horrible violation of the image of God in a person. Um, yeah. So, I mean, some of his beliefs on top of that were a little too unorthodox, a little heretical. Um, but really he, I don't know, I don't know how you get there, but he did. And, um, unfortunately put a very, uh, large stain on the beauty that is large. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he basically struck at the very heart of it. Right. And so you have to wonder, like, what do I do with the good idea that comes from the, the broken man, right? Like, it, does it automatically tarnish the holy and good things that came out of that organization? Or does it, is it a separate thing entirely. I don't, I think there's a total gray area there. Um, but I do think the Lord works through really horrible things all of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's certainly not to excuse that behavior, but it's to say that, um, death and sin don't have the final word, I guess. Yeah. I, I struggled with this too. Uh, like I majorly struggled with it, uh, because, well, I mean, there's been a lot of people who have fallen from grace recently. 
Yeah. And yeah. Ravi Zacharias. Exactly. So, you know, I, I look at Ravi Zacharias and I hear some of the reports that have seemed to be confirmed of the things that he was doing behind the scenes. And I'm like, this is this is disqualifying behavior. Right. So yeah. if it's totally disqualifying behavior in terms of like, by your fruits, you'll know them. There are many false teachers will enter into your midst and you'll know their false teachers how by their fruits. Okay. Well, these seem like the kind of fruits that would mark this person as a false teacher. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, he wrote a bunch of books and is it just the case that it's like, all right, well, he's a false teacher. Take all these books and throw them in, in the fireplace. Right, right. Now, at first I was saying, would you lose anything? God can preserve anything that's good in other holy men, maybe, mm -hmm. or in other holy women or whatever, you know? And um, so maybe you're not losing anything to throw them all in the fireplace and move on. Mm -hmm. But then the other side of me is like, yeah, I know, but there's like, there's books in the Bible written by sex offenders. Right. Written by some- You know what I mean? Not great dudes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah you got like, you know- some people would claim David used his position of authority to coerce Bathsheba into a position of, you know, of sexual submission, which in some uh, definitions would be rape, right? Um, yeah. Uh, at the very least, it's coercion or leveraging your power. And, um, and then, you know, obviously murdering Uriah, who, who by all accounts was a really decent guy, mm -hmm. actually, and very loyal to David. So loyal to David that David knew he could give the letter of his own execution to that man and know that he wouldn't ever read it. Yep. That he would take it all the way to the commander and never even look at it. Yeah. You have to wonder. This is the guy that wrote all those very sweet psalms. I mean, he wrote some of those precatory ones too, but um, I know that's such a, to, to betray someone who is so uh, devotedly loyal like that in such a grotesque way. Um, you have to wonder like how could... In such a cowardly way, right? Way too. Right. I mean, it's like it's, everything about it is gross. Yeah, and it's like, how could God still call him like the man after His own heart? How how right. could that be? And then it also calls into question: Well, what about my sin? Like, mm -hmm. I tend to think. Well, I heard a great quote the other day. It was like I don't remember who said it, but um, I think it was Chesterton. Like, usually for other people, we desire justice. Um, but for ourselves, we want mercy, right? Like I <laughs> right, want right, right. to be mad at this person who did this very heinous thing that I could never do. And um, I tend to like elevate other people's sin of like, man, I can't believe she did that. Or I can't believe he mm. voted that way or something like that. And I totally mm. miss the plank in my own eye. And the, mm. I mean, those are the only things that I'm ultimately responsible for, right? Is my sin yeah. and the consequences right. of my own sin. And when I forget that and I start like, making excuses for the good things I do despite my sin, but then looking at somebody else's good things and going, eh, yeah, but those don't matter. All of his sin mm. matters. And so it's a hard, hard thing to navigate. And um, I certainly, I have no answer for it, except that the world is very broken. Jesus is going to make all things new. And in this now and not yet world, um, he provides grace upon grace for us. Absolutely. No, and that's, that is exactly what we need. And I guess if we're going to say, okay, so what can we learn from that failure yeah. in Porchlight? It's that human communities are fragile. They are. Human communities are frail. Human leadership is frail. Mm -hmm. Celebrity culture is destructive. And if anything, we all need to be accountable to one another. Communities are helpful for that accountability. Right. The intentional community here may have been unequal in its hierarchy in such a way that it made it impossible for there to be accountability until it was too late. That's probably something that we should be really careful about. Sure. Those of us who are in positions of like, and, and actually, this is really interesting, but Justice and I had a discussion about this too. How decentralized would we allow Porchlight to become? And it's a really important question. Certainly. Because on yep. one hand... You want enough control to be able to direct it and, and make sure that it's not going in directions that would actually be like contrary to the mission. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a, you know, maybe a righteous or good mission. Right. And you it's don't want it to be, mm -hmm. you, you know, destroyed uh, by it being, you know, driven in a different direction than that goal of community building and et cetera, et cetera. What if it became celebrity culture again? Yeah. And the only people who are getting hosted are the people who really don't need help and all the little guys getting, you know, crushed again. And it's like, well, no, this is not what we were trying to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, so we have to have some control to keep that from happening. But then on the other hand, you know, you have situations like in Larsh where it's like, 
without accountability and some amount of de decentralization, you end up having like metastasized vanities and 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 self-centerednesses that become abuse. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sin is like a snowball, and the more that it is unchecked, uh, the more it grows. So that's one of the things about community. If we really want to do it right, is having that transparency and accountability. Um, but also the ability uh, to lean on each other and encourage one another, point each other to the truth, um, and just kind of walk each other home. Absolutely. All right. Well, that was that was good. That was great. That was really good. Was a lot of fun. And I think that I think I, I learned a lot, and uh, I hope <laughs> that our listeners also learned a lot. Well, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to share um, my favorite little topics. So. <laughs> no, for sure, and so. And just to, in closing, we're going to have Abby on a good bit more. Um, and I, I hope that she can is going to be a regular host on the podcast, especially in this particular season with our uh, Porchlight stories. Um, we're we're going to be doing a lot more like this. Uh, the next one that we have uh, for next uh, month, we're planning, I, I'm, I'm planning on doing a discussion on patronage, and whether or not it's just for rich people. Ooh, spicy. Yeah. So I, I patron has gotten a bad rap. And uh, so we're going to be talking about that. Um, if Abby wants to join me, we, she will join me and we will talk about it. that. I would love okay. it. Okay. All right, sweet. I just literally asked her on the podcast to do that. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't say no. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, you can. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about that, apparently. Great. And uh, that'll be next month's is Patronage for the Rich. And that should be an extremely interesting conversation. And I actually know a little bit more about that than I do about intentional communities. So it might it might be a little bit more equal. But I love being to able to hear you uh, explain all of these things and ex- explore uh, all the things that you've been studying. And it's been really exciting to, to see you like taking on more and more of this position of storytelling within Renew the Arts. It's been super fantastic. And I'm super excited about the future uh, concerning that. So well, thank anyway, you, Michael. I'm blessed everybody to be a part for of listening. It. That's oh. cool. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Abby will be back in a future episode on patronage and elitism, where we will discuss why patronage is not merely for the rich and powerful. You won't want to miss that. Abby and I also didn't nail down a song to use for the end of this one, so I'm perhaps selfishly including a song from the record I released last year with my musical collaborator, Philip Hodges. This song's called Naturally, and you can find it on the record All the Days by our band Physic. Our wives sang with us on this one, and it's about how connection and community both in and out of marriage doesn't just happen naturally, but rather it takes great effort and commitment. So I thought a bit appropriate for this podcast, and I hope you enjoy it. Also, I'd be remiss if I did not thank Ryan Lane, aka Civilized Creature, for again so generously letting us use his music for our podcast. The track we're using for this season's episodes is called Join With Me, and the non-instrumental version is on Civilized Creatures' March 2022 release called Prescient. We hope you'll check that out. For now, here's Naturally by Physic from their record All the Days.
True. 